Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah, real near Micah, real near Zephaniah, Zechariah, those books that you read all the time. Look with me in Jonah. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and we're going to continue our series about understanding your life mission. And we're talking about the fact that God has a mission for every Christian. God has a mission for every Christian. If you're a Christian, God has a mission for you. And it's not just a one-hour mission, it's a life mission. You weren't put on this planet, believe it or not, I hate to discourage you, to breathe, to take up space, to use your resources, and then just to die. God has a plan, God has a purpose, I believe the Bible teaches us, for every Christian. Otherwise, why would he not just take us straight to heaven? Beam me up, Holy Spirit. I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm ready to go. But he leaves us here because this world needs the saltiness, the taste, and the flavor of Christians in it. And in this series, we're using the life of a prophet to see that illustrated. His name is Jonah. Now, Jonah's not a really great prophet. The truth of the matter is he only had one prophecy, and it didn't come true. There are only four chapters of his whole book, and there are only 48 verses. There's not a whole lot there as you look at it. And the truth is, Jonah did the wrong thing. He kept messing up. He could have been a Baptist. But finally, in chapter 3, he acts like a Christian. And that's where we're at today, to see how Jonah behaved himself and, and actually got back where God wanted him to be. The truth of the matter is he ran from God much of his life story that we looked at. And we learned from both the right things he did. We will talk about that some today. And for the last few weeks, we've been learning from some of the wrong things that he did. In chapter 1, if you were with us from the beginning of this series, you'll remember we looked at Jonah rebelling and running from God and his mission. If you missed that message, we talked about 10 truths that you need to know about your life mission. You can go back and catch it on the website or on YouTube and things that we learned from the life of Jonah. And we also learned that day that when you run from your life mission, it affects other people around you. It certainly affected all the other sailors on the ship and the boat that Jonah was with. And then in chapter 2, we see Jonah repenting. He's repenting in a great fish going to the bottom of the ocean. And just about enough time that he has to still breathe air, he's able to pour his heart out to God. He returns to God in his mission. That's where he prays. He's taken to the bottom of the ocean. And in the bottom of the sea, he cries out to God. And we talked about last week in great detail. What to do when your life feels hopeless, when you're going through that, when you've hit the bottom. And we all maybe have experienced that. But now today, in chapter 3, we're going to see Jonah restarting and running with God on mission. So just by way of review, in chapter 1, we saw Jonah running from God. In chapter 2, we saw Jonah running to God. And today, we're going to look at Jonah at his best, when he's having his chariots of fire moment. When he's running with God and feeling God's good pleasure because he's doing the right thing. And we ended the last chapter where this great giant fish swallows Jonah. And uh, in Jonah chapter 3, on your worship guide, in your, on the back of your worship bulletin, the outline, it says, the top verse, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, to, to Genoa. <laughs> I want to tell you, that'll preach. I think Genoa needs to hear from the Lord. Amen. Let's change the sermon right now. Jonah, you're gone. 
the word of the Lord came to Genoa a second time. Now, the word of the Lord came to, Je- to Jonah. I'm going to do that the whole service. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. So, you know, you have the gift of interpretation. Tell your neighbor, say, he means Jonah, okay? Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I want you to do this for me. Uh, you know, we're interactive worship here. I want you to circle the phrase a second time. The word of the Lord came to Genoa a second time. And here's why I wanted you to underline it. Not everyone in the Bible gets a second chance. We always say that he is the God of a second chance. Well, not always he isn't. Ask Ananias and Sapphira about that. Check in with Lot's wife. See what she would think about that. Ask King Saul, who was removed from his kingship for a sinful rebellion. And just because Jonah gets a second chance doesn't mean that we should be flippant with God, presuming and assuming that we will all get a second chance when we disobey. But the truth of the matter is, we serve a God who loves to give us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance at infinitum. He loves and delights in showing mercy. He delights in showing grace to each one of us. In fact, just a short list of people that we know got at least a second chance in Scripture. You remember Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright and out of his family inheritance. And God gave Jacob a second chance. Moses murdered a man. And God gave him a second chance. Rahab was a slut. She was a prostitute. And yet God gives her a second chance. And she ends up being in the family tree, the family lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. King David committed adultery and had the husband of the woman he had an affair with murdered. And God certainly gave him a second chance. One of the great verses in all the Bible dealing with second chances. If you've ever needed a second chance, say amen. The rest of you are liars. One of the great verses in the Bible about needing a second chance is found in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen. Notice what it says. It says, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. Someone say amen. Amen. It is his mercy that has kept us from complete destruction. In other words, guys, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for his mercy. His faithfulness is great and his mercies begin afresh. Notice every new day. They begin anew every day. The authorized version says his mercies are new every new day. And at the top of your outline, there's a blank. I want you to write this down. Every new day is another chance from God. Every day that you wake up, yesterday ended last night. This is the day the Lord has made. Yesterday's past. Tomorrow may not come. That's why we call it the present. God's given us a present of this 24 hours that we're in. You have taken the time and trouble to come to the house of the Lord to worship him. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And by you being here today, you're saying, God, I want to give you the attention that you deserve and have my heart filled with your love. So the big question is, if every day of my life is another chance, if his mercies really do start fresh every morning and he's not going to run out of mercy, the question is, why would God want to give me another chance? And I'm glad you asked that question, because Jonah chapter 3 is an explanation of why God wants to give us those second chances. Jonah in this chapter does five practical things that I think we can apply to Genoa instead of just Jonah, and that we can apply to our lives, and I want to go over them with you. What do I do when God gives me another chance? Would you write them down? Number one, when God gives me another chance, the first thing I need to do is to live with profound gratitude. Live with profound gratitude. 
You know, sometimes when you say, Lord, I don't even know why I'm here, that's almost an affront to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're here, you're still breathing today because God wants you to be here. He has a plan still yet for your life. As I said, if not, you would already be gone. And I know it's hard to do this, but I think it's really great to wake up singing praises every morning of your life. I know I've told you this a thousand times, but you know I only know three stories, so you're going to hear it again. When I grew up on the farm with my Aunt Gladys down in Virginia, in the morning she would make me get up and go outside on that cold, frosty autumn morning and bend down and touch my toes. I couldn't do it when I was 10. I still can't do it today. But we'd reach down, we'd raise our arms up, and she'd say, let's say it. we go, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And she did it with such fervor. And I recall, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let's rejoice. Be glad in it. I hated it. I still struggle when I come to that verse. I think Gladys is leaning over my shoulder looking at me. But there's something about having that spirit of joy, that spirit of thanksgiving, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, that my heart is still breathing, that there's still blood coursing through my veins, that, Lord, I'm, I, I can see, I can hear, I can eat, I'm alive. Thank you, God. You've given me another chance. You, and I know we don't do that every morning. You've given me another opportunity. You've given me another moment of your mercy and your grace, God. And your mercy is new. The Bible says every morning his mercy is new. We don't have to live on stale bread or day over meals. Every day it's like the manna the children of Israel got in the wilderness. It's fresh and it's new from God. You live near a bakery, you can appreciate that verse. But you live with the profound sense not of duty, but of gratitude, of gratefulness for all that God's done. And, and I wish that we could all have that attitude all the time. I wish I had it all the time. Now, it's all grace. The truth is, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be a happy person, and you wouldn't be either. It's, it's all grace. It's all a gift of God. So the first thing you do when you get a second chance, I mean, when you've gone through that bankruptcy, when you've gone through that divorce, when you've gone through that cancer, when you've gone through that scandal, when you've gone through that depression, when you've gone through that mess, when you've gone through 100,000 different problems we could list if we had time, and you got another chance, God's the one that gave you another chance. So think of all the difficult experiences you've had in your life, and the fact that you're here today worshiping the Lord, and to know that the Lord is not finished with you. The first thing that we want to do is to start living with a profound sense of gratitude, if you've taken it for granted, then maybe just to begin today, say, Lord, this is the day that you've given me. And I'm profoundly grateful for the opportunity to serve you and live for you this day. And then to demonstrate how much that you are thankful to God for giving you another chance. And Noah does this. In fact, he does it before he gets out of the belly of that great fish. While he's in the deep, deep part of the ocean. We looked at this in our last session together, but I want you to revisit with me Jonah chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It's on your outline, but it's also in your Bible. Jonah told God, even while he was still in the middle of the problem, do you remember this from last week? He didn't say these things to God after he got out of the fish's mouth. He said this while he was still in the very depth of his problem. Verse 9, Jonah chapter 2 says, Jonah told God, I will sing my thanksgiving to you, and I will sacrifice to you, and I'll do what I've promised you to do. But why did he do that? Because salvation comes from you, Lord. Then God ordered the fish to spit up Jonah under the beach, and it did. And I know that verse, we covered it last week, 
But I want to reinforce the three things that God told him to do. Notice, if you would, on the screen. He said, first of all, and fill these in on your outline. Excuse me. I will sing my thanks to God. That's the first thing Jonah says. He says, God, I'm going to sing my thanksgiving to you. And, and remember, we talked about singing as a spiritual act of being grateful to God. All of God's children should sing. This evening, a wonderful opportunity to come and listen and sing and praise the, 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 the goodness of God. You don't have to be on key. You don't have to be in the right note. You just make a joyful noise. And then remember number two uh, in that prayer, Jonah says, I give my offerings in thanks to God. That's the second thing I want you to jot down. <coughs> I give my offerings in thanks to God. We realize that everything we have comes from God. And when I give back part of it in tithes and offerings as a symbol of gratitude, here's what you're doing when you do it. You're saying, God, I realize all of this comes from you. I didn't do this on my own. You don't really own anything. Whatever you have wasn't yours before you were born. It will not be yours after you die. You only get to use it. You're definitely not taking it to heaven. There really has never been a U-Haul, go to the cemetery and follow someone out. God owns everything in the world, and he loans it to you maybe for 70 to 80 years. That's the general time span. Maybe some more, maybe some less. The Bible says that we give part of what he's trusted us with back to him. It's called tithing and offerings as a result. And you're just saying, God, I just want to recognize it all comes from you. I wouldn't have it if it weren't for you. The Bible says this in Psalm 50, 23. I think it's on your outline, but it's definitely on the screen. God says, the people who honor me are those who bring me offerings to show thanks. And I save those who obey me. Why do we do it? To show thanks. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need my money. He owns it all. So what does he want? That verse tells us. More than anything, God wants our thanks, our thanksgiving. It's a very tangible way that we can show thanks, express, goodness, to express thanks for God's goodness to each one of us. So I sing my thanks to God. I give my offering in thanks to God. And the third thing I do is I commit my life to God's mission for me. All three of those were found in those last two verses of Jonah chapter 2. I commit my life to God's mission. And when God gives you another chance, he doesn't want you to just go out and keep using it for yourself. And living it for yourself. He wants you to use it for his purpose. Romans 6.13, notice, says this. Give yourselves completely to God, every part of you. For you are back from death, and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. So I sing thanks to God. I give an offering to God. I commit myself to God and say, God, I want my life to honor you. I want to fulfill what you put me on this earth to do. And those three things that Jonah did, we have an opportunity to do every single week when we come together and worship in this church. Every weekend, we sing thanks to God. We give offerings back to God saying, thank you, Lord. And we commit ourselves or recommit ourselves every single week. The purpose of you coming every week is not to get saved again. You can't get saved. The Bible says in Hebrews, having laid the foundation of repentance and baptism and laying on of hands, let us move on. And that's the growth. That's the sanctification. That's the holiness stage that we grow. And each single week, we grow. I know there was the great writer John MacArthur that said one time, he said, any day that I do not grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, I consider that day to be a total loss in my life. 
every day looking for something. Lord, what would you show me today? And so that, that's important how we say thanks to God. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing that Jonah does and what you need to do and what I need to do when we're given a second chance, which is literally every day of our life, and that is number two, make my life mission my top priority. On mission from God. Mission from God. Lord, this is my top priority. When God gives me another chance, maybe I've really messed up. Maybe you've really blown it in your life. But whatever God gives me to do the rest of my life, that's what I want to focus on. Now, that doesn't mean that you hold your fist clenched all the time in that mode. I've got to get it done right now because it's not a 50-yard dash. It is a marathon. It is the rest of your life. But when I've been given a second chance, it's not the time to keep doing the wrong stuff that caused me to need a second chance to begin with. It's not the time to keep on doing what I've been doing, like being selfish or thinking about me or thinking about what I want. No, this is the time to start thinking how to live a life that would be pleasing to the Lord. He's given me another chance to live for Him. He's given me another chance to make my life mission count. The mission He has for my life now becomes my top priority. In 2 Corinthians 6.1, it says this, notice, Paul says, do not let the grace that you receive from God be for nothing. Don't let the grace be for nothing. He's shown you mercy, shown you grace. God's let me off the hook so many times. Sins that he's forgotten, sins that he's forgiven. And in your life, I bet it's the very same thing. Paul says, don't let that grace of God be for nothing. And this is the second thing that happens to Jonah. First of all, Jonah says, I'm going to live in a sense of profound gratitude, and I'm going to be grateful to God for every chance from this point forward in my life. But in Jonah 3, verses 1 and 2, notice what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah again. Here's his second chance. And he says, go to that great city. Now, here's what God wants him to do now. Don't just keep living like you were, Jonah. But I want you to go to that great city, Nineveh. And by the way, Jonah knew that when he was messing up. This is the second time the Lord told Jonah this. Go to that great city, Nineveh, and warn them of their doom as I told you before. I want you to underline that word warn. We're going to come back to it in just a few minutes. He said, I want you to go to that great city of Nineveh and warn them of their doom as I told you before. Same wording as in chapter 1. His mission has not changed. But Jonah's gone through an awful lot of problems since Jonah chapter 1 because he wasn't listening. He's been running from God. He's been through all kinds of storms. He's experienced a shipwreck. He's been thrown overboard. He's been swallowed by a great fish. He's had all kinds of stuff happen in his life. But when he gets a second chance, God says, By the way, Jonah, you've got a second chance, but I need to tell you, your mission hasn't changed. What I called you to do the first time is what I still want you to do the second time. That's why, my brothers and sisters, the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He wasn't sorry for giving you that call. He intended for you to live that way. It's what I meant for you even before you were born. It hasn't changed. And in your life, it hasn't changed. No matter how many problems you've had, no matter how much stress you've gone through, how many losses you've had, how many sins you've committed, all of that hasn't changed the life mission that God has before you. It may manifest itself through different personalities than it would have 20 years ago or five years ago or at a different time in life. 
But when God created you and what he created you for and what he designed you for is still intended to be enforced by God, and it's our part to just say, use me, Lord. See me and use me. I want you to fill this in on your outline. It's a, there's a place for it under that point. Circumstances may change me, but they never change my mission. Circumstances may change me, but they'll never change my mission. I may go through all sort of broken and breaking situations where I'm broken financially, where I'm broken spiritually, where I'm broken emotionally, where I'm broken relationally. My family could have fallen apart, but you need to know none of those change your life mission. Even more important than your marriage relationship is your relationship with God. Can you lose a marriage? Ask 50% of Americans. It can happen. Can you lose your health? Ask people that are filling the hospitals to overflowing in the city of Columbus today. Can you lose a relationship with God? Absolutely not. When you are secure in the love and the hands of God, you should know and write it down big and plain that what he intends to do with your life, he wants to do until the moment he takes you to heaven. I said in the last time we were together, there is no plan B for your life. God does not have a plan B. I mean, you know what's interesting to me about this story of Jonah I got this week? And I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. Just turn to your neighbor and say, he's wrong this time. It seems to me that God was more concerned about Jonah than he was Nineveh. He could have sent anyone to Nineveh. There were a lot of, you know, I have nine pastors here waiting for my heart attack. They're ready to take over any time. <laughs> there's always junior, junior executives ready to take over. But God wasn't going to let Jonah off the hook. He was really concerned about Jonah. Jonah, I have called you. This is a mission for you. This is what I want you to do. Before you were born, when God decided what, what he wanted to do with your life, whether you do it or not is your choice. And it's a big mistake if you don't do what you're created to do. And you say, Frank, can I die and go to heaven without doing what God's called me to do? People do it every day. I'm convinced the, mass, the vast majority of Christians never find their mission specifically. We just go through life. And there is a place we've talked about briefly called the beam of seat judgment in heaven where we'll wish that we had not built on wood, hay, and stubble but would have built on the more precious things of God. And this is not, not works resulted, but it's just having a mindset and a heart set of here am I, God. Use me. Shape me. Mold me. Fill me, God. I mean, God knew before you were born. Think about this. God knew before you were born. Do you think he knows everything? He knew all the dumb decisions you would make. He knew all the sins that you would commit. He knew all the problems you would face. He knew all the losses that you would have. He factored all of that in, and then he called you to do something great. He knew our humanity. He knows that our frame is but dust, and we're made. And your life mission is not changed from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. So Jonah's saying, okay, I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to make my mission my top priority. Here's the third thing you do that Jonah did. It's kind of like a little, uh, little pithy statement, a pithy statement. Don't delay, but obey today. <laughs> Don't delay, obey today. When God gives you a second chance, it's no time for procrastination. Well, I think I know now what God wants me to do. And I've had men feeling they were called in ministry before, and that's, that's my uh, wheelhouse. 
I get to talk to individuals that feel they're called in ministry, and many times they'll give me 10, 15 reasons why they can't do what they feel pretty sure that God's called them to do. Well, my wife doesn't want to be married to a preacher. Well, the pay is not that great. Well, there's no security. A lot of people have stopped going to church. And God didn't factor all of that in when he called you. It's, it's what I love about the book of Titus. When you read Titus chapter 1, Titus gets to a point. He'd been sent to Crete, that little island. And he called Paul on the phone one day <laughs> in form of a letter. And he said, Paul, he sounded like this, Paul, it's tough. I can't take it anymore. These people are mean. In fact, if you read Titus chapter 1, you see there are swears and cursors and drunkards and everything. And, and he said, I want to quit. Now, he doesn't say that, but it's assumed that because of what Paul says, I think, in verse 7. He's answering all those whiny things of Titus when he says, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete is to straighten up the things that are out of order. If the people didn't need a pastor, I wouldn't have sent you there to begin with. And sometimes when there's a problem that God's calling you to fix, and you're the one that he wants to fix it, the reason he calls you there is not for you to whine about it, but to shine in the midst of the storm. To be that, and it may be in your own home. The greatest testimony you may fulfill, your life mission may be the way you love your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors. God can use you right there. I'm convinced God's not calling you to sell everything you have and give away all your money, or, or we couldn't keep this church going. I need you to keep working every week and paying your tithes and being good Christians. Make no mistake about that. But at the same time, I want you to be obedient to the Lord. Whatever it is and however he is calling you. Sometimes say, okay, Lord, I know, I know that you're calling me. I've got it. But I'm going to go on my career. I'm going to make a bunch of money first. And after I make a bunch of money, then I'm going to do what you call me to do. And if God's called you to do something else, all the money in the world would never satisfy you. Or, Lord, I've got to get married first. Or, Lord, I've got to go through school first. I've got to experience life a little bit first. I want to tell you, when you get a second chance, you mind God immediately. You don't procrastinate. You don't put it off. You don't delay. You obey today. It's time to get going. In verse 3, Jonah 3, here's the third thing that Jonah did. It says, this time, and he gets a message where God says, go on and do what I told you to do. It says, this time, Jonah immediately headed to Nineveh in obedience to the word of the Lord. He's doing it. Do you remember? He's going now 550 miles to the heart of Iraq. He is going to the place that God intended him to do when he went 2,500 miles the other direction the last time that we looked at him. But now he's up near Mosul in Iraq. And I want to ask you, if God were to give you a second chance, don't you think you'd probably say, I'm going to get with it, whatever God told me to do? I spent enough time going in the wrong direction. How many could say amen to that? I spent enough time going in the wrong direction with my life. Now I'm going to make up for that. I'm going to go as fast as I can in the right direction. I'd love for you to write this down somewhere. There's a place on your outline that you can do it. It's a phrase under point three, and that is delayed obedience is disobedience. Any dad... Any parent knows this. If a dad tells his son, son, I want you to take out the garbage, the trash truck's running tomorrow. And the son says, sure, dad, I'll do that next week. That's disobedience. If a mom says to the daughter, you come down here and let's clean up the supper dishes. Ah, I'll do it in a few days. That's total disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And when God tells you to do something, he expects you to follow, begin the process now instead of giving him a bunch of excuses. So you don't delay, you obey today. 
Now, I hate to make it personal, but that's what you pay me for. What has God told you to do and you're still dragging your feet? What is that one thing that keeps gnawing? And maybe, you know, we can be very successful at, at shunning the Holy Spirit. Can I use that word? It's a good Amish term. That we can be so successful in shunning the Holy Spirit that the feeling and the calling and the drawing of God can seem less distinct and less distinct and less distinct. I'll never forget one time I heard Pastor Jim Custer use this illustration. He said, you know, it's possible that you can take a hot iron and put it on the tip of your finger just for a second and repeat it for 30 days. It'll hurt the first time, but at the end of the 30th day, you can leave it there and you won't feel a thing. And I think the Holy Spirit gently nudges us and it gets our attention. He gets our attention and it's possible to just become numb almost to the moving and the wooing of the Holy Spirit till we get to the point that we need to say, Lord, soften me. Lord, let me be receptive to be able to hear your calling and your desire for my life. And God says, I want everybody being involved in knowing your mission in life. I want you to be like me. I want you to learn to be a servant. I want you to learn to serve. That's why I want you to give me back the first part of your income. That's why I want you to give me the first day of the week. That's why I want to get the praise the first thing in the morning. That every single day, this is a day, Lord, that I can praise you. We're not talking about uh, uh, the fact that uh, life's exclusive for us, but it's all about service. And to make it even more personal, did you ever stop and think why Jesus was baptized at the age of 30? Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He was without sin. Jesus Christ was baptized as an example for every Christian to be baptized. I'm not talking about when he was dedicated as a baby. Sometimes people tell me, well, I'm not getting baptized well, I, because I was dedicated at the temple, at the church when I was a baby. Well, bless your heart. So was Jesus. But Jesus participated in what we would call believer's baptism. At the age of 30, he set an example for us in being baptized. He modeled it for us. And the truth of the matter is some of you haven't done that yet because you're not open to and You don't have to feel called to be baptized. Baptism is the first command in Scripture for Christians. The first thing you do is repent and be baptized. And I don't know. Ask yourself, what is it that's causing you to put off doing what God's told you to do while you're still dragging your feet? And lots of times God can give us different commands. And we don't say it blatantly to God, but you're saying, God, I'm thinking about that one. I said, I'll see if it fits in my protocol, if it'll work in my wheelhouse and what I'm doing. Your amens are thrilling me today. Now, here's the fourth thing that Jonah does. And it takes just a minute or two to explain this, but it's really important. When God gives me another chance, first of all, I'm going to live with profound gratitude. Number two, I'm going to make my mission my number one priority. Number three, I'm not going to delay, but I'm going to obey today. And number four, this is so important, I accept my responsibility to warn others. I accept my responsibility to warn others. Let me explain this. This is not your whole mission, but it's part of it. As you are going through your life, you will have an opportunity on a regular basis to warn those in the world about the coming doom, but also to warn your brothers and sisters, just hopefully, as they will warn you at the same time. If you are a follower of Christ, and if you are just as a testimony of that, and if you're not ashamed of it, would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, I'm a follower, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hands are going up everywhere. 
I want you to know that if you raised your hand, there are going to be times in your life that God will speak to you to warn some people out of love. This time, Jonah heads to Nineveh in obedience to the word of the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 3. It's on the screen. Now, the city of Nineveh was so big that it took three days to walk around it. But after walking a day, Jonah warned the people. I wish I had a better breakdown of that translation. I thought in my heart, did he have to walk a day to get up the nerve to begin warning the people? Was the city that large? It was the largest known city in the world. When you think of New York City, you can't just think of downtown Manhattan. You have to realize that it's like these tentacles going out there, five boroughs. And you go everywhere from Staten Island to Brooklyn, all the different places that are there. That's considered the greater New York area. And Nineveh was the same way. When he went to Nineveh, it was not just the city, but it would be all the suburbs and all the boroughs and everything that was there. And he's walking around for a day, and Jonah begins to warn the people. I don't know. I thought when I was preparing this, because, you know, my deep seminary training, it would have been easier if he'd put a sandwich board on it and said, turn or burn, flip or fry, <laughs> you know, something to get the people's attention. But he almost did something just that ridiculous because he didn't say a whole lot in the words that he gave. But Nineveh, I've told you, was such a prominent, important people. It's a huge, huge city. And the Lord says, I want you to go and warn them. And it says, after a day walking, Jonah warned the people. Now, what's the warning? Because it's part of your life mission. You need to know how to do a warning. The dictionary defines the word warning on your It's on the screen if you'd look at it. A warning is cautionary advice about a danger, a trap, or a problem. That's what a warning is. It's uh, it's cautionary advice about a danger, a trap, or a problem. When I give advice about a, a danger, a trap, or a problem, and that's the fourth thing that Jonah has to do. After walking through the city for one day, he begins warning the people. And this mission of warning people is the responsibility, I believe, of every blood-bought Christian. Over 100 times in the New Testament, we're told to warn other people. It manifests itself in words like go and preach, go and teach, warn, tell, beware. And, And it's all part of us being followers of Christ. And warning others shows that you love God. It shows that you love other people. For example, if you know the bridge is out and I'm speeding down your road at 50 miles an hour and there's no sign and you don't tell me the bridge is out, if you don't try to slow me down, that's the most unloving thing you can do. Sometimes as Christians, we don't want to warn our brothers and our sisters who maybe have been caught up in some of the stupid things that are happening in our society today. And I'm not just talking about the world. But the Bible says revival begins with the house of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and and return and repent of their sin. And so sometimes we give those warnings to each other. If that bridges out, it's not only not loving, it's actually hateful. It means that you don't love me. I mean, love isn't always emotion. Mm. Love is sometimes... And sometimes God hugs us and loves us, and sometimes God spanks us in the process. And if you truly love me and I'm coming down your road, please let me know if the bridge is out. If I walk up on a hill and the cliff is right there and I'm not aware of the precipice that's in front of me, and if you don't say, Frank, that ground is unstable, be very careful. Warning is an act of love. It should never be done as an act of arrogance. 
It should never be done as an act of hypocrisy of saying one thing to another and not believing it for yourself and certainly not an act of superiority or an act of self-righteousness. Warning is an act of love. And, and God doesn't tell Jonah. He doesn't say, I, now watch this. He doesn't say, Jonah, I want you to move to Westerville and move in the city and just be a good example. Let your neighbors see that you're a good example. No, he didn't say that to him. He said, part of Jonah's life mission is you're going to go to the city and you have to open your mouth and you have to warn them. It's part of your Christian responsibility. And not only the world, but our brothers and sisters in Christ is iron sharpens iron, so brothers sharpen each other. The Bible makes it very clear that we're in, in the New Testament that, that we're to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Has anyone ever told you that part of your job following Christ is to warn other people just like Jonah came to warn the people that God, the message God had given him? Listen to what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. It says, this is the church at Ephesus. He said, for three years, three years, I never stopped, say it, warning each of you night and day. And notice, with tears. With tears I did this. Why would he warn with tears? Here's why. Because he cared for them. Guys, I'll tell you what you really care about in your prayer life. It's what you pray about the most. You can pray perfunctory prayers, and we all do it from time to time, and go through a prayer list. But the passionate things that hit you, you won't have any trouble those things coming up. Your children, your grandchildren, your finances, your health. Your neighbors, your personal prayers for you, do you know what they mostly always are? Just two prayers we generally pray for ourselves. Forgive me, Lord, and help me, Lord. Those are the two primary prayers. But as we pray to God and we come to him, we want to warn of others with tears in our eyes. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, the second half says, So Jonah warned the people, and his sermon, this is a Billy Graham sermon right here. It's seven words. The whole sermon was seven words. Don't you wish. You'll never get seven words from me. But seven words. It says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, that's a really great positive message. Robert Schuler could bring that thing, couldn't he? In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. I mean, is that how you attract social media friends and make Jonah popular? Seven words. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. Jonah had no compassion. Jonah was offering no hope. And I want to tell you something parenthetically. And the only reason I'm not sharing it all with you is because I have another service. Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh. The only reason Jonah went is because God said to go. Nineveh only listened to Jonah because they were at a point of collapse financially, militarily. They were ready to go under. And because they all repented, they were able to live and exist another hundred years before Babylon took them over. But don't think for a moment that Jonah's spreading and shedding a whole lot of tears for the people of Nineveh. Now, when, when does God expect you to warn people that you love, people that you're concerned about? Maybe in two categories. It's on your paper. You can write it down on the screen. Here's when you should warn them. Number one, when they're not thinking wisely. And number two, when they're not acting wisely. If you have brothers and sisters, if you have children and grandchildren, if you have parents, and they're, they're acting in a way that you know is not consistent with the testimony they give, it is not wrong for you as a brother or sister in the family or a brother and sister in Christ to go to them and give them warning. And that's not your whole life message, but it's part of it. Warning, just as Jonah did. May I ask you another question? Have you ever, since you've become a Christian, warned anyone 
spiritually? Have you ever had a time where you warned anyone about anything in a spiritual way? About a moral danger, maybe something they're flirting with and they, they can't see it? Because Satan does tend to blind us. And I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many times would we say, boy, I was more caught up in that than I certainly realized was happening? Or you didn't do it because you were more interested in being popular than being obedient. You wouldn't want to do anything to lose the friendship. We have a young lady in this church, and one time a friend of hers recently told her, they said, listen, if you want to keep talking about God, we can't be friends anymore. And they, she thought, how do, I, how do I remain consistent and still keep this relationship? And she decided to be obedient to God is more important than to be pleasing to mankind. And she said, listen, I, I will do my best to honor you, but you know where I stand. And anytime you're going to talk about spiritual things, I'm your person. You come to me and we'll be able to share. Now, here's why it's so important that we warn. If you don't get anything else today, please get this. The truth is, God could be holding you and me responsible one day because we said nothing and lives were destroyed. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, there's a whole portion of Scripture about accountability of God's people who did not take time to warn others. It's possible you can just let people walk off the cliff and you say nothing. It's important that we realize that because we live in a nation that is crumbling. We live in a culture that is falling apart. And that's not just in one point, so many different areas. And if we as Christians don't wake up and share the good news of Jesus, if we as Christians do not wake up, you see, it doesn't bother me so much that our government has fallen in to make everyone politically correct and happy and they're going to do anything sexual you want to do. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to marry a tree. That'll be the next thing. They'll come down the pike. Trust me. What really bothers me is that pulpits, preachers, men of God who know better are allowing things and saying things that are inconsistent with the word of God. And it all has to begin right there. Guys, if the church isn't the testimony for Jesus in the world, who's going to be? You know, one of my weaknesses I have, I love automobiles, and I love to go to car shows. You know when I go to a car show what they're doing? They're telling me how wonderful the fenders and the bumpers and the headlights and the motors and smell that leather. It's just wonderful. Glory to God moment, I'm telling you. But when people come to church, they ought to, the, the purpose of the church is the only institution on the earth is to tell people about the goodness of God. And instead of telling people how to live so close to the world, we ought to be telling people how to live so close to God. And Jonah finally gets the message. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. One thing that Jonah did, and it was very positive, is that he did go. Then the last thing, and I'll stop, is that when God gives me another chance, I should expect God to use me. I'm a child of God. It's not in vain. I have to tell you, every preacher experiences what I'm going to tell you. I probably experience it more often than the rest of them. And that is when I finish a message, I'll go away and say, oh, that was terrible. No one got a thing out of it. It was horrible. And then invariably, someone will text me or email or come to me and say, Pastor Frank, I accepted Jesus today through that message. You should expect God to use you regardless of how frail you may think you are, how weak your message may be, because God is honoring the call as much as he is your courage. And you begin to share. And so I should expect God to use me. 
Because God isn't leaving me alive to live for myself. He doesn't give us another chance so we can just retire and go on and come in on Sunday morning and fill our notepad up and eat. Take it in, take it in, take it in. You know, if you ever see a sponge, it'll take in. It's dry. It's beautiful to watch them. Just They swell up. But what happens when they swell up? The water just goes in other directions because it can't take in any more. And we can only take in so much until we start giving it out to others and sharing. You, you say, Frank, you don't know what I've been through. It doesn't matter. God only uses imperfect, broken people. If God only used perfect people, nothing would get done because there are none like that on this earth, no perfect people. He uses ordinary, broken, imperfect people like you and me. God says, I'm going to use you as an ordinary, imperfect, broken person. Sometimes we make the mistake of making superheroes out of the saints in the Bible. We're all saints. There were no superheroes in the Bible. David was not a superhero, killing a man, committing adultery with another woman. He was an ordinary individual that had good times and difficult times, and you're an ordinary individual, and it's time to step up and be all that God has called us to be. Jonah was just an ordinary guy. What a sermon. I mean, seven words. It's the biggest spiritual revival in history. The largest city in the world turns around. Look up on the screen. Here's what it says. The Ninevites believed God, and they humbled themselves, putting on sackcloth. What's sackcloth? Well, it's what you make sacks out of. It's indicative of humility. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least as a symbol of their humility. It says, then the king proclaimed a public fast. Watch this. He said, no humans or animals to eat or drink anything. This is the king. Let each of us and even our animals be covered with sackcloth. Then let us all pray urgently to God and let us turn from our evil ways and let us stop all our violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I want to tell you, that's a greater miracle than the fish swallowing Jonah. For God to turn an entire community, entire city around at that point, it's a great miracle. Because these five things that they did is our pathway to personal revival. In closing, let me give them to you again. Number one, they humbled themselves. The Bible says, number two, they fasted. They proclaimed a public fast, everyone. Number three, they prayed urgently. Number four, they turned from evil and the bad things that they were doing. And number five, they said, let's stop the fighting, let's stop all the violence. I wonder if that would change our society if we did those things. Notice in Jonah 3.10 what it says. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. And he did not do what he had warned them that he would do. It's my job to warn you and it's your job to warn me and it's our job to warn each other. Warn each other because it's still today. We can't work on tomorrow. It's not here. This is the last scripture from Hebrews chapter 3, just so you won't think I'm giving you platitudes. It says, warn each other every day because it's still called today. And so that your heart isn't hardened against God by the sin's deceit. We will share in all that belongs to Christ. That's good news. If we hold firmly until the end. So if you hear God's voice today, the writer says, listen and don't be stubborn.